Well, hi, everybody. Along with Bob LaBelle, I'm Mike Lynch, and welcome to Unanchored Boston. <clears throat> and this week's episode of Unanchored Boston is brought to you by Our Best Foods, featuring Our Best Meatballs, available at your favorite local grocer, and Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping and where? We're in New Hampshire, of course. And the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've got a great guest today who has seen it all and has been the right-hand man to Red Auerbach for the introduction. And take it away, Bob LaBelle. His name is Jan Volk. And if you don't know who Jan Volk is, you don't know anything about the Boston Celtics. He's got five championship rings. And so that means he must have came here during the heyday of the Celtics. He was brought in by Red Auerbach, went to Columbia, grew up in Iowa, or at least was born in Iowa. And uh, Jan was brought in to sell season tickets and ended up being the general manager and he's a general counsel and was there for all the, all the glory years. Not to say that these aren't the glory years now, but it's, it's a different time, the pre three point shot. And besides when we talk about the strategy, we want to bring Jan in and tell him how much we appreciate him being here, but he's there from, um, you know, three or four different owners to the Rick Patino era. He's seen it all. I know. <laughs> Just short of the Rick Patino era by uh, yeah. a half a day. By half. <laughs> and the reason is you were let go by Patino. Basically, you were. Absolutely. Told, I did. They gave me the opportunity to resign. How did that work, Jan? Because none of, well, we, Mike and I have both been fired, but. The point is, how does that, how did that work at that level? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I was really paying much attention at the time. I was kind of just licking my wounds. Um, no, I understood uh, clearly at that point in time that uh, for the job that uh, Rick Bettino was uh, hired, um, he needed to have his own people in place. Um, I, I, I have... Um, I have misgivings, had misgivings, and continue to have misgivings about that era, uh, era of uh, Celtics basketball. It was, a, uh, it was a dark ages as far as I was concerned. But I don't think you're alone. I think a number of people share that. It was a coronation when he came in here, and it was, you know, there was a, such a transition period between, I don't know, was it Bill Fitch or no, Casey Jones probably, and and then the Patino era. But the point is, uh, well, you can you can explain where it was because there were so many big names, so many big championships, uh, and, and so much so much drama around that team at that time. Well, the NBA for a, for a long, long time was a, a, a group of mom and pop operations, and um, the Celtics were one of the last um, to go corporate, and uh, they did so. Um, in, in the couple of years before Patino came on board. And it did change the flavor of, um, of the environment. It was, a, uh, it, it was a great place to work. Um, it was, uh, as I've said in other contexts, um, if, if it, no matter how good you were, no matter how well you were at, at, at how you did your job and how um, meaningful it was, Red was going to get the credit. You just knew that, and that was part of the deal. You understood it. And you, 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 you prospered in it because you didn't spend a lot of time worried about who's getting credit for what and whose ass has to be 
covered and who's um, taking their share of the, uh, uh, the, the, the of, of the uh, credit uh, when it wasn't due and so forth. It made it simplified things, and uh, almost everybody who ever came to work for the Celtics during my tenure did so with that understanding. And if they didn't, they didn't they didn't stick around. It wasn't a place for them. Um, so it was a it was a great place. I, I, I'm not sure that answers any question that you asked. But um, hopefully I... Well, we're getting there. We're getting to other questions too. You know, that's the end of the show. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So no, we're not over. Okay. Well, I'll shut up after this one question, Mike. I'm sorry. I'm really dumb. I don't mean to be dumb. It's okay, Loby. It's okay. No, 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 no. I just can't help myself sometimes. What made Red Red? What made him the genius that everybody thought he was? Or maybe he wasn't. But he got oh, a statue, and it's at, at uh, you know down at Faneuil Hall. So, what made Red Red? Oh, he, he, I think you start with the genius. I mean, that he was born that way, and and he he could he could evaluate talent as well as anybody. Um, understanding that the draft was not a science, it was um, uh, there were lots of there were more um, mistakes than there were uh, success stories that came out of the draft on a regular basis. Um, but he, um, he was, um, he was able to, I, I sat with him for any number of games on the road. Um, we, there, there were, uh, uh, seats made available by the other teams for the, uh, for the owner and, uh, general manager and so forth. And, uh, I would sit there and I was marveled at what he could take in, in a short period of time. He could, he could watch a series of plays and, and be able to track what all um, all all the players were playing, both both teams, Celtics and opponents, and who was doing what, and who was uh, who was giving false hustle, and and uh, he, he made judgments very quickly. Um, he, uh, on the other hand, um, made some bad judgments. We all do, but that's what that's what we were there to to do was to to kind of insulate from that. But what what. What he was was um, um, he was a bigger than life character. I'm sure it pleased him to be so, but in reality, he was a very, very uh, he was a very humble guy in in many respects. Uh, it, it, at one time, there was uh, concern about um, uh, about what was happening in the organization, whether there was going to be a, with an ownership change, and there were many of them. Uh, were they going to scuttle the uh, the staff and start all over again and so forth? And he sat down and explained to me. He said, "You know, I went through that all the time." Uh, he said, "Because I realized that deep down, I, what I was was a gym teacher. And if uh, if things didn't work out in the NBA, and uh, there were times where it was questionable, um, I might have had to go back to being a gym teacher." And so he 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 understood where he was and, and how special it was. Nonetheless, um, he, uh, he he was fearsome. To, opponents were, um, were were put off by him by in many ways. He played with their minds, and uh, the, the the one that's the most the uh, uh, most frequent um, uh, scam, if you will, was that the uh, floor panels of the uh, garden were um, were mapped with dead spots. <laughs> and that uh, that we the, the players would go um, and 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 defensively direct their players over the dead spots, and as Red would say privately, he says you think my guys are going to remember where the dead spots are? <laughs> Got to understand we play we play twice as many games 
or half as many games, if you will, uh, on on that court, and everybody else plays two or four. Uh, it's, um, it, it wouldn't do us much good to, um, to have a lot of dead spots for ourselves if we just magnify the problem. But he, he was like that. With they, they was, there was a presumption by the Lakers that we heated the locker room in the, uh, in the All-Star, excuse me, in the, in the playoffs. And that, none of that happened. None of that happened. But he, <laughs> but he, but he enjoyed it. He oh, enjoyed the fact that that was the presumption. How, how did he, it almost seems like he swindled other teams out of these these trades that all worked they were so top heavy and they were so instrumental in a championship so with charlie scott uh for um paul silas um rick roby dennis johnson uh the trade with golden state that brought parish and McHale here we always seem to be on the receiving end of all these deals and sometimes you say did he drug these general managers of the other teams while uh, make the deal while they were asleep how was he, how were we able to pull all that off? You're right in the middle of it. You, you probably orchestrated most of it. Well, the, 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 yes, the, not yes to I orchestrated it. I certainly did not. I was uh, I was in I, I I made it happen, but the brains of the organization was always red, and and I, and I I can't you know I I, I I can't suggest otherwise. But um, what what happened? I was a beneficiary of one thing was that when Red re, Red retired and put quotes around that. Um, I became the kid that everybody would rather talk to than talk to Red. So I got had the opportunity to talk to, to teams to take the edge off of that. Have, having said that, I had a deal at one point with, a, with another team for a perfectly good trade involving a trade that, uh, that they had for a player who was hurt, was rehabbing and uh, wasn't expected, was expected to play out his season uh, as, as a, and become a free agent. And we had a player in the same thing was, who had an expectation of being, of getting paid higher than we were going to pay. We were going to, we, we were going to swap that. It was an agreed upon deal between myself and the general manager. It had been okayed by, um, I think Chris was the, the coach at the time and, and the, uh, coach for the other team. And we, but we, we agreed upon it too late. So we couldn't get it done that night. I mean, without, causing the NBA to reconvene its, its, um, its operations. So uh, we were gonna do it the next morning. The next morning I was informed by the general manager that he, the owner had gotten involved and he said specifically, if Red wants to do the deal, I don't. And, <laughs> and, and I, said, I said, well, would you believe that Red knows nothing about it? He said, not for a second. <laughs> so that deal did not happen. Um, yeah. Well, what did happen? What deal that did happen is you did uh, get a second round, second number two pick from Seattle for who was it? Was Gerald Henderson, right? What you you traded Gerald Henderson for for the number two pick in that draft, and you guys took Len Bias. And that, of course, was a whole nother chapter. And as you shake your head, we all shake our head. Uh, can you can you go through what you were thinking, what he would have meant, how it went down? That well, it's it's that that's that period of time is a is is a uh, I don't know. I guess it's um, it's it's natural, but it's a blur. The whole thing's a blur. 
uh, it uh, from the inception, from the, the from the first notice of something being possibly wrong, to the ultimate tragedy. And well, hang, hang on, just a second, because I don't want to skip over that, because I'm going to go right back to it. How how did you find out that he was dead, or that well, how did you find out that there was trouble in paradise? Because this guy was supposed to be well, he was going to be a great player. Well, go, go. I don't know if they still exist to look at the draft of the uh, scouting reports for the draft. And we had seen him. Um, it's one of the things that Red was very active in the D.C. area anyway. And right. he was friends with uh, Lefty Drizel, who was the coach at Maryland. And Len Bias was at Red's camp for two years. Those those two years overlapped with Reggie Lewis, as it turns out, um, so that the oh, yeah. uh, two years. The two years that uh, um, Lembias was at camp were um, abutted the two years that Reggie Lewis, on the downside, Reggie Lewis was at camp. And um, it was, um, those were two terrific players and both had tragic endings. And it was, uh, it, it, it was too much to recover from in the short, in the short period of time we had. Well, how did you I'm sure that, oh, I don't know where, where we want to go with this. I can go all the way back to the to the. Well, way. I want you to. I want to go back to. You know, we know how great a player well, both of them are, and how tragic and how ironic that is. But let's focus on the bias situation because he was going to change careers of other players. Uh, I mean, Bird, as you, we've talked before, was all in on bias because of what it was going to do for him. But what it was going to do for the franchise. But how did you find out? How did this, how did this tragic news first come in? I got a very early in the morning phone call from a producer uh, from a local channel. I believe the name's out because uh, I actually don't remember. Um, the um, call came in and said, "I'm really, really sorry to bother you. I, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure this is just a cruel joke." But it's coming across uh, uh, the wires that wire that um, Len Bias has had a heart attack, and I said, "Oh, come on!" You know, having just given him a physical uh, and so forth, I, I said, uh, and he called back 15 minutes later and said, "I just got off the phone with Len Bias's agent, and he took my call and heard it was uh, the media and hung up on me." Uh, I don't know what to read of it, but it sounds like it, there's more to it than we thought. So I picked up the phone reluctantly. I didn't really not want to wake Red, but I did. And, um, and, and, and as it turns out, I didn't wake him up. He was up and he knew all about it because mm -hmm. Lefty called him. And I said, whoops, I think it's time we, we call the ownership. So probably having been noticed maybe around 6 a.m., Probably by 6.30, I was on, in touch with the owners who um, were magnificent in, in, in their, their response. I mean, they were extremely supportive, having nothing to do with basketball and everything with, uh, to do with life and living. And um, I was very, I, I wasn't impressed until I looked back on it, on the circumstances as to how they did it. And um, uh, so I then called back Red and told him I'd spoken to him and he said, yes says he's passed that's how I that's that's the chronology that's the timeline no there were two decades when, uh, more than two decades passed before another title was won 
would there have been more titles if Len Bias had survived and played? You know, that's, I think so, but it's, it's, it's speculation. Uh, the, the reason I think so is we went the next year to uh, game six in the finals. And really we were one player away. And I, when I say one player away, I don't mean like drafting one, having one available to us that was injured. We had Scott Wedman out for the season. We had Kevin, um, Kevin McHale who had um, uh, fractured the um, navicular bone in his foot. We had uh, Robert Parrish had a very bad ankle sprain. Um, we just didn't have players and uh, healthy players. And uh, I think if uh, one player of Bias's caliber added to that mix, we'd have had at least another one. And then throwing Reggie in another two years down the line, and we would have continued on that uh, winning path. But no, that was too much for us to overcome. Our guest is Jan Volk, uh, nearly three decades with the Celtics, five championship rings, uh, among other many duties, a um, general manager. And uh, time to uh, welcome in our first sponsor. Next time you're grocery shopping, don't forget to go to the frozen food section and look for our bag of our best meatballs. Look for the smiling chef in the bag and you'll find great tasting meatballs for your next dinner or hot snack. Remember, our best meatballs come in a resealable bag to make it easy for you to store away before your next meal. I know the bell has one right there. It's not upside down, Bob. You want to take, take the meatballs out of the top, not yeah, the bottom part. right here, right <laughs> and don't forget to download there's a money saving coupon available online at ourbestfoods.com Jan Volk quiet to choose from go ahead yeah, yeah, hold them up, up, what they, up right, there you go yeah, there I'm just welcome. saying there's more meatballs here than the Celtics had owners how many owners did you guys have Jan I, I, I was not a math major I can't begin to tell you without taking off my <laughs> shoes uh, I, a lot a lot in double digits. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy uh, for a franchise with this kind of success. It was like mom and pop stores. I guess mom and pop stores are sold much more frequently than corporate stores. Well, I, I my experience, my initial experience with the Celtics as an employee was um, when Ballantyne owned it. Uh, Ballantyne Beer owned the Celtics, and um, they were <laughs> trying to get rid of it and and. Um, uh, it, it was a clash of, of mom and pop operations and corporate, and I, I banged up with them. And if you got a second, there's a story that it's just funny or it's just interesting that it happened. It may not uh, suggest anything else, but um, I got a um, in, in uh, early in mid November. I got a notice from the CFO of of the company that owned. Valentine Beer, which I think was Investors Funding Corporation, or I think at that time, and uh, the he wanted to um, he was scheduling up a meeting for me, with me, on the day after the Thanksgiving um, four days that Sunday on uh, Thanksgiving, and I was the, uh, a um, an usher on a wedding in D.C. Uh, that uh, I think it was in D.C. Yes, it was um, that um, that I couldn't miss. I just couldn't miss. But I saw that I could get back in time. It was a nine o'clock meeting, and I could get back in time to uh, to meet um, the, the that uh, that day. Well, I didn't pay much attention. I was really new to travel a lot on my own. When I get I get out of the um, the, the venue, 
get, get in a cab. I could barely see the cab with the fog. And I got, got in with another, um, another person that was in the uh, wedding party. And uh, the three of us, he with his wife and me alone, drove to the airport to find out that the airport was closed. All three of them were closed because of this storm and they was, it was closed overnight. And so I ran, we ran to the train station and um, the uh, uh, trains, trains were, were, were operating, but they had no, uh, they weren't selling seats. They had no seats. You could get on the train and stand. This is in, um, as I said, in DC. Uh, and I actually was in Baltimore by the time I got, got to a train. And um, so I, I looked around and that's right, everybody's standing. And then I saw up ahead, an empty seat. And in that, at that point, I was 24 years old and I was, you know, I was at the prime of my life, I guess, physically. I got up, I stood up on the backs of the, of the uh, seats and ran, there were a bunch of people saw it too, ran on the top of the seats to get to that seat and plunked myself into it. And unfortunately found at that point that there was a reasonable explanation for why there was nobody sitting there. Whoever had sat there just before had thrown up, had vomited into the seat. <laughs> I was not sitting in it in, with, my, with my tux on from the, <laughs> from the wedding. And I wrote it God. to, uh, I, I, I'm sure your audience is not, I hope your audience isn't offended by this, but it was a very uncomfortable feeling. It was mushing around and it was, it was just awful. Oh, God. It was, it was like, <laughs> And I got, we got to uh, Grand Central Station and I said, enough is enough. I'm getting off. I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm not sitting in this shit anymore. Pardon me. Uh, and um, well, we can and, say that. We can. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the other um, couple the, uh, that were with me, um, they lived in New York. And they graciously allowed me to sit in a cab with them <laughs> to, uh, to get to their house, took my, my clothes off put it in a plastic bag, put on clothes from the, from the day that I had been wearing and um, uh, stayed in there until I got a, um, a 6.30 uh, shuttle to uh, Boston. And there I was, 8.45, sitting in my seat, waiting for the CFO. And the message came in, he's stuck in a fog um, <laughs> bag and uh, he'll reschedule. Never heard from him again. Unbelievable. So, uh, really? That was, sounds like you're brushing greatness. Anyway, I, so owners, we were just talking about owners. We started with Ballantyne. And uh, who was, I mean, you got a whole list. Harry Mangurian, by far, at least in, in public opinion, might have been the best. Don Gaston, uh, Don Gaston Jr. was thanks, Dad, as uh, he was called in the newspapers. I think that was Dan uh, Shonis who coined that. Uh, Shonis, of course. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Uh, yeah. And either John and Y. Brown. John Y. Brown, who sold, who, who swapped franchises, right, Jan? Yes. Yeah, go through that. Well, the, the John y. Okay, was John Y. Brown the worst owner that you had, or was there worse? No, I, I, I would say he was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was he slammed the door on my face once. Um just what? Yeah, I mean, he didn't hit me, but he said he was the former know, governor of Kentucky, right? Yeah, well, at that time, 
but yes, ultimately he was. Yeah, at that at that particular juncture, he was um, he, he was a. Uh, uh, I think he had just sold the Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise, uh, and it was now branching out. Well, the thing where he where he um, slammed the uh, slammed the door on me was he had come up. He had been in Las Vegas and had bumped into Marvin Barnes, and Marvin Barnes had a had a, had a guarantee <laughs> on his contract that uh, somehow John Y. Brown had talked him out of the important parts of it and get and and with uh, uplifting with other parts that were not either um, even even um, of concern they were just things that shiny objects that he uh he meaning uh, brown had uh, enticed uh, marvin to sign and he but what he did was he signed a um a a, a contract when i put quotes around it because a lot of people would not recognize this as a contract, um, and he started it on the napkin in a in the restaurant, and finished it on a on a um, uh, marketing brochure, <laughs> and that's and he he <laughs> gave two pieces to me and said, "Make it legal." <laughs> and I came back to him and I said, "You know, I really don't understand this guarantee." He says, well, well, then just have it retyped. Bang, slam the door. And uh, that was, yes, he was the worst. Of course, yeah. you married Phyllis George. Did you know the lovely Phyllis George? I did get to meet the lovely Phyllis George. She was very lovely. She was very yeah. nice. And of course, their daughter's Pam Brown on CNN. Yeah, it's true. She's very good, too. Yeah, she is. But I'm just saying, there's a, there's a thread. Yeah, there's a tie. Well, I mean, there's that tie-in there. There's the tie-in with um, um, uh, Irv Levin and um, oh, Lipton. Uh, um, name is first name is, is uh, suffering through a senior moment, but uh, uh, Lipton's um, daughter was uh, from Mod Squad. And oh yeah, his, Peggy Lipton. And his granddaughter is um, uh, was in the office. I'm trying to think of her name. Uh, so there's some there's some connections that uh, that go outside of uh, of just uh, uh, Phyllis George. But, uh, all right, Jim. I want to know right now who was the first person in the organization that mentioned the name Larry Bird. John Killalay. Really? John Killalay came back from a road trip, from a scouting road trip, and came in and said, "I found the next Rick Barry." And didn't take very long for other folks to know to figure that out too. Uh, and uh, we looked for him, but he wasn't in the next draft. He could have been, but he wasn't because he had uh, he had signed he, he had he had junior eligibility, I guess is how it was phrased, um, because he had his class had started, and he had started in the class that was graduating in that year but he had uh, not played, so he had eligibility and he extended it. Am I making sense? <clears throat> so there were very few players that you would wait a year for. Uh, Lou Alcindor probably was one of them. You didn't know how great Jordan was gonna be. You didn't know, you knew LeBron was probably pretty good, but 
what made it worth waiting a year for Larry Bird? I mean, how, how certain were you that this guy was going to be who he was? I don't know that there's, there's any certainty. I, I will tell you, he turned out to be better than we thought. So really? put that back, that, uh, we, did, we weren't such geniuses either, I guess, because we didn't realize how good he really was. Um, but he, we were in the ideal situation. We had the, um, we, we had two first round picks and uh, one of them was six, the other was eight. Everybody else in the draft who was ahead of us had to take, couldn't take a chance on a player who wasn't gonna play for another year and, was, and would go back into the draft. Um, and so, uh, actually that's not true. He wouldn't have gone back if, if he had stayed with it and, and gone through the draft and not been drafted, he wouldn't have been a free agent. So he, he wouldn't, it wouldn't have served us well had he, had he gone somewhere else. But Red was willing to take a chance because we were coming off of a bad season, but it wasn't God awful. And um, he had the ownership um, at that point, he thought he had the ownership backing to do this. Turns out it was, it was riskier than you thought because uh, John, y, uh, John Y. Brown was such a loose cannon with the uh, trade. Well, he was the owner at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, he was the owner at the time. And, um, but what, what worked to our benefit was that the, the one there was one team that did pick ahead of us that um, was, in, was, was out there that could take him. And that was Portland. Portland had the first pick in the draft and the seventh pick. The first pick going to Michael Thompson. The second pick being between our two. So the question is, would we take that um, would, would we take that six pick and use it for another player and hope we can get Bird? Or who was, we knew wasn't going to play? Or do we just bite the bullet and get it, take it and, and, and take whatever comes up in the, uh, in, in the eighth pick? And that's what, um, that's what Red chose to do. I can't tell you that I chose to do that. I, I do know that I, I uh, when I say he was better than we thought he was gonna be, we thought he was gonna be damn good. Um, and when uh, our time came to uh, to exercise our draft pick in, uh, that year, in the, I was in New York, and Red was on. I was on the phone with Red, and he says, "Take him." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I, 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 I'm. If you found that draft card, um, you probably find the handwriting a little messy, because I was shaking. My hand was shaking. I was saying, oh, "My God, this is <laughs> this is big time. This is good." <laughs> That's what happened. No, 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 you were shaking, shaking because you thought that the NBA wouldn't allow it, or no, no, I, I was, I was shaking because I knew it was, it was, it was monumental. It had, it had historic implications to it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You and, guys certainly uh, had a reputation for doing odd things, like well, drafting Danny Ainge for, for example. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, that was. That was no. Uh, I mean, he was the baseball player. He's playing for Toronto. Oh no, I I I remember the guy. <laughs> I, I, I remember the guy. Um, the, um, the what you'll note with with a, a few of these is that Red was um, able to take risks 
because he was doing so with a, with a group of available draft picks or where picks are, are not high enough that he that, that, that would uh, dissuade him from taking a chance. I mean, you talk about the, um, the um, uh, Charlie Scott for uh, Paul Silas deal. Charlie Scott was a seventh round, excuse me, he was drafted in the uh, uh, the CB, uh, not the CBA, the um, ABA. ABA at the time. Uh, and Red took him with the seventh round pick so that we had the rights to him if the league should collapse or he should uh, get free agency. And that's, <laughs> that's what happened. And that was the one of the more significant uh, contingencies that were um, had to be uh, included in a trade deal with uh, with with Phoenix, so that um, we had some certainty as to what we were going to we were going to get. Hey, let's we're going to get to the, uh, the the trade for the big three in just a second. But want to remind you, if, uh, you know, camping season's right around the corner, and if you're thinking about a new motorhome or pop up camper, go visit our friends at Cold Springs RV in Ware, New Hampshire. That's W E A R E, New Hampshire. At Cold Springs RV, you'll find a huge selection the latest and new and pre-owned campers for you to choose from. If you want to check out the great deals today, simply go to coldspringsrv.com. That's coldspringsrv.com. We're speaking with Jan Volk, uh, possessor of five world championship rings, general manager, chief cook, bottle washer. He did it all during his nearly three decades with the Celtics. All right, so there came a deal. You got Larry Bird. He's coming after uh, his playing his senior year at Indiana State. Now we get another deal where Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale. How did that thing wind? Again, it looks like like Red boondoggled the Golden State Warriors, but here it is, a, a franchise-altering moment. Well, we we had the uh, we had the first pick in the draft through a trade. I think it was through trade. I don't recall having been uh, that bad that we got the first pick, but um, we, um, it was uh, Joe Barry Carroll was the consensus first pick. <clears throat> Red did not like Joe Barry Carroll as a player and uh, thought he was um, not worth a first round pick, but that some guy that nobody knows about because the, his, his college was under probation was, and that was Kevin McHale. And he, and that's that's what you're, that's the trade you're talking about, I assume. Yeah, yeah. And so what 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 we did, which was very similar to frankly what uh, Danny did with uh, Tatum, um, we um, we reached a deal with Golden State, who was the third pick and wanted Joe Barry Carroll. Uh, that we we flipped it, but because we were giving him them the first round pick. And um, we negotiated, I was gonna say demanded, I don't think it's demanding, it's the right word, but we negotiated um, a, uh, that, that Robert Parrish be thrown into the deal to kind of level it out. Well, we, <laughs> it, it leveled it out, but at a much higher level. <laughs> and that's, that's how that, that, that happened. How big, who was, who was, I just want to follow up. Who, who was who was high on Kevin McHale? Like who who really was in love with Kevin McHale? I, because... I, I would say Bill Fitch. I would say it was Bill Fitch. Okay. He was not your favorite coach, was he? 
Uh, no. No. Why? Well, we 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 had somewhat of a truce. He was. Um, we just had different goals. Different goals. Isn't winning the same goal? Isn't that the one one and truth goal? Well, you know, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Um, we different I styles, was, man. Is that a fair? <clears throat> okay, different styles. There you go. I'm certainly not was not a coach, and I did not presume to have have those answers. But I did have uh, different views on other things that we did. This and, is not okay. necessarily. But uh, what's that? No, we can go from Fitch to the best coach. Was it? Was it Casey Jones? Was it uh, Chris Ford? Was it Tommy Heinsohn? Or you go, whole, go right down the whole list of great personalities. Red. That this team. It was red. Red, of course. Red. Well, right, right, right. No, but you named you named people that were all definite favorites of mine. And you, you know, it's like I suppose like uh, having a big family and you love them all. Um, they they all had their um, they they all had a common goal in this case I will say you can you can view that they, they all had a common goal but also recognizing that coaches pretty much understand this as a general rule but not necessarily at the in the moment coaches as the saying goes are hired to be fired and in almost every in almost every case not every case red uh, left when it was time when he felt it was time most coaches most uh, are, um, are are let go um, when their message is no longer easy for them to deliver. And players get to the point where they um, tune, to, tune coaches out. It's, under, it's understandable to say, you're talking about 82 games plus, the, you know, plus uh, preseason, plus playoffs. They keep hearing the same voice. Eventually, you start hearing the same things. And uh, it, wears, it wears folks out. But um, the, uh, Tommy was a Celtic through and through. I mean, he came with all the right credentials. He was a wonderful human being, a terrific guy. Um, the other folks were terrific as well. Casey's style was was perfect for the uh, the the uh, Bird era uh, success. He knew exactly how to deal with veteran players in a in a productive way. Um, Chris was was um, was terrific. He got what we were trying to do. A lot of coaches, um, and the, these are generalizations that you, you, you make, but you know, you, you can't necessarily find specific um, examples of it. Uh, but he was, um, Chris Ford got it when we said we needed to have a, uh, a, the players sign autographs today. No problem, we got it done. Other coaches might say, you know, we don't have time for that. We got to do it another time, and but Chris was very, very amenable. Understood, got the big picture. Um, the one that's thing difference I think, between Chris Ford and Bill Fitch is that what you're saying? That's one of the differences. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're gonna, I'm gonna put away at this till I get the all right. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna be quiet for a little while, and then you're gonna come back. I know it's like it's like trying to you know feed the post, yeah. yeah. Not, not ready, Mom. We'll bring it back in. Well, that's right. You're up. doing great. I mean, you know, you're doing great. The coaches, these are these are personalities that we all grew up with. So yeah, yeah. 
interesting to find out from the inside that uh, I know some of the players on even I'm talking about Fitch and I'm a, I know he coached the Cavaliers and, and you know was successful out there and uh, I didn't think Bird was especially fond of Fitch uh, but that's only because well, of now I could be wrong I think he tolerated I think he was able first of all I think he saw a different side of Bill Fitch than anybody else did because Bill uh, Bill did understand he was his meal ticket. And uh, so he would do, um, there, there, were, there were examples of things that happened where, where um, I'm not gonna give the details on it, frankly, because I can't remember specifically, but I, I, there, there was a, the, uh, a, um, a time where Bill called me aside and told me something that, he, that Larry wants to do, let's do it whatever it was, I don't know whether it was what it, what it was, but I, I said, okay. So I went to Larry and I said, Larry, I understand you want to do this and this. He said, oh no, he said, that's, that's me just pulling Bill's chain. You know, but he, he says, when I pull, he, he, he jumps up. <laughs> so he had him in his, he really manipulated him quite a bit. Was right, Jen, another big deal. Uh, Dennis Johnson comes here for Rick Roby. What did you say? What was the conversation, the genesis of the conversation about what you needed and why was Dennis Johnson the guy you want? Well, I think we took a chance. I think uh, that was um, because of the, uh, not because of his playing ability, because that was pretty obvious, but his interaction with coaches was particularly bad. And, um, and, and, and understand that at, 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 um, at that point, guards, generally speaking, a quality guard was never, I'll say it differently, a quality center was never traded for a guard straight up. They were just the presumption that quality centers were harder to find than quality guards. And so there, there was the presumption that you could get a lot for Rick Lurby. And Phoenix was willing to give him up as he had already been a problem in Seattle and then a problem in Phoenix with the coaches. And the coach, our coach at the time was KC and KC had a problem that I don't know whether it's even how, I don't know whether I'm, I'm, I'm revealing something that maybe um, is, is embarrassing to some, but we played a very early game, an early season game against the Sixers in Boston when there was a significant rivalry between the two. And um, Dennis was playing. The game was close. It was tight. He got taken out for, for a breather. He viewed it as being taken out. Uh, they were, they were nip and tuck. They were, uh, they were, they were, they were uh, angling for a, uh, timeout, not a timeout, an overtime. And um, Dennis walked by KC, pulled off his um, wristbands, threw them down on the floor, garden floor, and walked to a seat down at the end of the bench. Casey does one of these and I put some, he had just put, um, I think it was Brian Shaw into, into the game. I, I don't know who he had just put in, but he had just put in another player to give Dennis a chance to to refresh and be ready for an overtime. Well, with that behavior, KC did not put him back in the game, did not put him back in for the 
uh, overtime. We won in overtime. And um, we came into the locker room. You have a 10 minute cooling off period. Uh, Casey got everybody together or, or, uh, or in front of their lockers. And he, and I'd never seen him do this. He just chewed up Dennis royally and said, if you don't want to play Celtics basketball, you don't have to, but just don't, don't, don't stick around. You're on, you're, you're on your own because nobody's going to, nobody's going to stick with you on this. And in and, and any, in any event, it was a very, very heated time. People were restrained and everybody was, it was, it was, it was everybody against Dennis. This was an exhibition game. No, this was a regular season game. Okay. This wasn't a regular season, right? It, oh. it was an important game um, against the, what was the, the rival in the East. That's and, amazing. Uh, and that was the last problem we had. With I've never heard of Casey doing that, Jen. Casey, as, as I, and I've looked at some of the quotes when, when, when Casey passed away, I looked at some of the quotes that were attributed to me, all of which I, I believe to be true. Um, that uh, Casey did not have to show you how he didn't have to um, show you how tough he was. It just it just he just was, and you knew it, and you just knew it. He didn't raise his voice very much, but boy, when he did, you paid a real close attention. And um, he was um, he was a lot. He may not have been a lot tougher than people realized. Because maybe deep down they felt you know, uh, that uh, that he was, but he very rarely showed it. When he showed it, he he was he wow. was dynamic. Yeah. So anyway, that just that just made the, the, we were we were willing to take the risk. As it turns out, the risk turned out right, but it wasn't just by making the deal. Uh, and and Dennis was a model citizen. He just wanted to win. Well, that's not right. He wanted to play on a winner. <laughs> he did have uh, two of the clutch shots in Celtics history. Of course, that jumper in L.A. and then the layup against the Pistons. Yeah, yeah, that and that that was that was so much tougher than people realize. Um, and and they also showed he did not go to his left hand; he went to his right hand, yeah. and he did it. And, and he made it harder than it might have been had. Uh, had he not gone to his right hand. Uh, it's funny, you, you tell him that story, Jan, and then you, you, you recall Larry Bird numerous times when asked who his favorite teammate was of all time. Larry says Dennis Johnson. Yeah. But had that story taken a different turn and had a different ending, he would not be his favorite teammate. True. True. There's, yeah, there's a lot of what ifs and everything. And uh, yeah. Rick, Rick, Rick was an underachieving center from our point of view. He, and, and he was, um, under, understand, we still had Dave Cowens. I think Dave was still on that team. Yeah, Dave was still on that team. And, uh, and, and um, no, was he? I don't know, Jan, but you keep bringing up names that shows the plethora of talent that this franchise had over the years. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. It's really pretty incredible. This we just didn't. There weren't just any fish in the stream. I mean, you there were, you were big fish, and you kept every year. You found something that made you as bigger, not bigger. I mean, just the talent was 
kind of amazing when you go through this whole list of things. Well, and, and I think what's amazing too, and, and, I, and what made it work was the understanding amongst all of them that there was one Larry Bird in this, in, in, in the, in the, in this group of players. There's one Larry Bird and everybody's, everybody subordinates their talent to his because he was totally unselfish. And um, so you've got players that um, were subordinating their skills. Kevin could have averaged 30 points a game. I have no doubt that he could have before he got hurt, before he, before he broke his navicular bone. He could have he could have averaged that, but the rest of the team would not have. He wasn't a great passer out of the post, although he made this. So don't don't tell him that. Don't tell him I said that. Black hole. <laughs> yeah, black hole. <laughs> and, he black, and the black and the black hole. Yeah, we're talking with we're talking with Jan Folk, uh, uh, general manager, pretty much so, and. Uh, you know, if you're thinking of a new vehicle, go where we go. Go to the our friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years because we know George Gray will treat you right. They are a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust, and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. We're talking with the great Jan Volk right now. Uh, Bob, just whoa, 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 whoa! Let's stop whoa. that. Okay. Can you repeat that? You're talking to the legend. I Jan heard him. No, he said great. He said great. Oh, he said I great. Said great. For, and I filled in with legend. Okay. He did. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both a legend. Both both a legend. <laughs> you know, uh, Bob was just talking about was that a preseason game against the Sixers? Let's go to that preseason game where Red came out of the stands yeah. and got into it with just about everybody. Billy Cunningham ripped his jacket, and there's there's some still shots of you like. But right behind Red saying, oh, my God, what is going on? <laughs> well, what you so, didn't see there was about about 30 seconds before that, he threw me like I was a rag doll out onto the floor to get out of his way. <laughs> Physically just moved me. And yeah, what was, I, what was I, going I a, on there? What was happening? Well, I had a deer in the headlights uh, moment. <laughs> um, what was you know, there were two of them. That is, there were two exhibition games involving the Sixers. And I don't think they were in the same year, but there were two of them that, that had the same, not the same cast, but the same implications. One, one was with, uh, was prompted by Ivoroni. Right. And the, and, and I don't remember who, the, who the Celtic uh, combatant was. Um, I don't remember, but the other one was Larry and Matt and um, uh, Doc. Right. Yeah, amazing that, picture. Of course, that picture lasts forever. And and Larry was very um, affected by it, and really did not like. Would not sign a picture that was um, a copy of that picture. Wouldn't sign it. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. He, he was very was good. What's that? What's, what do you say? What do you mean affected by it? Was he, he didn't want to see that anywhere? He he just he felt that showed embarrassed his, by he was embarrassed. He was embarrassed. Yeah. I, I mean that's a form of embarrassment, I guess. He was just, I, no, seriously. I can yeah, he was he was he was not happy with himself. I that's so hard for me to do. He, he, he to say what he felt. No, I just I know that he took he he just didn't want to have anything to do with that picture. And I understand that there was a there was um, like Veritech and A Rod. Veritech wouldn't sign the yeah. picture. Yeah, the same thing. 
same idea. The um, the thing is, I I got to know Billy Cunningham a little better after all that, through all that, and I and I really liked Billy in in, uh, in context. Uh, he was he was a good guy. He he really got Red. He understood Red. He thought that was great that Red that he was Red was sixty five at the time, I think. And he's 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 and I saw him. The, the fight was was enveloping <coughs> of me out by the Celtics bench. And I saw Red. Red wasn't just coming down. He was climbing. Yeah. He was climbing over the seats because the aisle was too far away. <laughs> so that he could, <laughs> so that he, um, uh, so I said, all right, I'm going to go out here and try to calm him down. That's when he picked me up and threw me. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, and Reb was probably at, at least fifteen rows up in the loads, right? No, he was uh, he was seven rows up. So, he was eight okay. rows, eight rows up. He had he had a there was a a, 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 a narrowed um, loge loge um, seventeen, I think it was at that yeah. time, and there was a vomitory right in the middle. And on either side of the vomitory were three rows of three seats, and Red sat on the um, on the uh, in in that group of three, he sat on the inside to the outside seat rather of uh, row two of that group, and that's and and that was the best seat in the house, and I sat across the aisle because he made me sit there. I didn't want to sit there. He made <laughs> me sit there. Well, because he didn't have a walkie-talkie, and he wanted if he had to yell at somebody, there I was. <laughs> and the owner was right next to Red. The owner was right, right. Except well, Harry Mangurian was sit across on the other side. You know, Harry. Harry was a really bright, thoughtful guy, and was was quiet for a long time while um, John Y did his routine. Uh, and um, but he taught me some things that that I that, that I really benefited from. He would talk to me on an average of two to three hours a day, not at one time, in chunks. Oh my gosh. And he would ask me stuff, questions that um, if I didn't know the answer to them, I had to start from now on knowing the answer to that question because I was going to get asked that question time and again. You know, how many seats were, uh, how many seats did we have left in the drop box? How many, whatever it might be. And I responded, um, with understanding this was making me better so uh, he was uh, he was a good mentor alan cohen i don't know how we got into this but alan, alan cohen was a great was a great mentor um as well and had great relationship with uh david stern and how did you i'm sorry lynchy i just keep coming up with names no, you go you go ahead bob johnny oh, most johnny oh, most was one of red arbacks prizes Right, Dan. I mean, tell me you're smiling because he was like, I don't know how to just explain it. You know, one one. I sat next to him a couple of years, and I just can't. I have stories of that, you know, of him chasing fans, of throwing, losing teeth. Just Johnny Most stories. <laughs> that he was one pants. of Red Arback's genius moves. Setting his fire, setting his pants on fire. Setting his pants on fire. It's just, it's never ends. Uh, yeah, there was a, and 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 there was a. It was sometimes blurred as to whether he's on camera. I mean, uh, on mic or not. 
because I mean, he was going and you either had it or you didn't, but th there's, there's one. And he would show up, Jan, he would show up at a game and not know who the Celtics were playing. <laughs> oh, oh, we, well, he'd look down in his preview. He'd look down in his introductions and say, and the Celtics are playing, uh, 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 Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Well, I, I, mean, it was all... I have a the, the story that I just found really interesting. If, if you remember, Jeff Rulin played. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. He played from, uh, he was, McFilthy. I'm not sure who was McFilthy and, Mc, and, and the other was. Nasty uh, McFilthy. Mc, you know. uh, Mahorn, yeah. Rulin yeah. and Mahorn. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, Mahorn, right. And they were playing for Washington uh, at the time. Well, they actually went through between Baltimore and Washington. I'm not sure where they were at this precise moment, but uh, uh, Rick Weitzman was doing half was doing uh, color commentary for the broadcast. And um, Johnny sent him down to the, um, uh, I guess, to the locker room, to the uh, uh, Wizards, known then as the uh, Bullets. The Bullets locker room to see if we could get an, a, a halftime interview from um, uh, Jeff Ruland. And, <laughs> and so he, Rick uh, introduces himself, sort of, and uh, he says, um, uh, who, who are you working for? So the, you know, uh, the, I don't know what even who it was at the time. Uh, and and is, is, who, who's, the, who's, the, who's the commentator? You know, he said, Johnny Moses. Ah, Johnny Moss, I'm not going, I'm not blanking going there. He said, my mother listens to these games in upstate New York, and she says, he's awful. <laughs> so Rick goes, we get somebody else, goes back to Johnny and tells, and Johnny said, you get Mahorn? Not Mahorn, Roland. He said, uh, no, but I got somebody else. He said, didn't say anything more until the broadcast started. And he said, before we get going here. Mrs. Roland, if you're watching this game, if you're listening to this game, you might want to turn the sound down because you're not going to like what you're about to hear. <laughs> he did that. That's really good. I hadn't heard that one, but that's that's great. Okay, so where did Red find him? Well, I have no idea. <laughs> well, no, I mean, in fairness, I, I grew up listening to Johnny Most. With a with a with a crystal radio that I made that I stuck under the pillow, and oh uh, you know, on the first first time I ever heard Bill Russell's name was in the context of the um, Melbourne Olympics, and it was Johnny that was broadcasting. So I I, I don't know the what the, what the background is there, uh, in, except to know that he was um, he was one of a kind, and um, he uh, and 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 in, in fairness, he was a he was a gunner in a. On a, I think a B seventeen. I've seen I had seen pictures of him with his crew, and really? yeah, and and you know if you can imagine what what you know he he was slight. And he showed up in his picture very nicely. You could you could find him very easily. <laughs> oh, boy! I'll tell you, they, they, I'm, I'm sure you go on and on with red stories. Um, um, I've told the story before. I had a chance to, uh, I refereed a lot of practices and I refereed the old timers game at Northeast in January of 85. Oh, when, Red, when Red retired, right? Yes. And oh my goodness. And uh, so I called the foul on Charlie Scott and Red went out of his mind. And, and he oh, said, Oh, really? Yeah. 
And so, you know, um, I said to him, well, John Havlicek's my favorite player. I want to make sure he gets to the line, gets in the scorebook. And he said, oh, do make a mockery out of this game, this and that. So I had a cigar in my back pocket as a peace offering. And I offered it to him. And he told me to stick it where the sun doesn't shine. You know, <laughs> now it's getting worse and worse and worse. And Kenny Hudson's working with me. And Kenny's just laughing his ass off. And Russell's coaching the other team. And Russell wouldn't do any interviews. So finally, at the end of the game, I go in the locker room. I got my head down. And I'm saying, this is supposed to be, I'm, I'm refereeing all my idols. And now, and he says, tough day, huh, son? And I said, oh, yeah. He says, oh, now you know what uh, uh, Sid Borsher and the rest of the guys feel like. And I said, you feel bad enough for me to do an interview? He said, sure. You got a camera? And Donnie Mitchell was right there. And really? I got an interview with Bill, with, with, with Bill Russell, which he when never he gave. He wasn't giving interviews. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, great. So that, I took, was great. that was a great game. It was a great game. One of the few times that they that I've seen a, a supposed uh, old timers game really be a good game because yeah. those were players were not that far removed from their playing days. No, no. I mean, the, the guys could still play. I mean, uh, Coos Coos had a runner. Um, Sam could, could still shoot. Charlie Scott could shoot. Maravich played in the game. Wayne Embry was at the game. I mean, the picture is is, is literally everybody that was part of the Celtics, uh, you know, through the, through the 81 season, this was January of 85, but uh, yeah. it was, it was really something. Yeah. It was something that was, it was a, a picture was in the sports illustrate of. Uh, I, I remember it. Well, I remember the feeling of nostalgia for that, which is now what, 30, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 30, 40, 40, 40, years Almost ago. 40. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, I, I was nostalgic back then. What do you miss yeah. most, Jan, now? Um, what I miss most, I think, is working together with a group of folks that are all shooting for the same goals uh, and, and are invested. And, and, and our, our front office was great. Absolutely great. It was a great group of people who were very smart, dedicated to what they do. And I miss that. Um, I, I miss the games, of course. But there again, <laughs> I... You know, obviously we had games regularly and I, I would say, you know, this is great. I, 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 you know, I, it, but I'd, I'd be a lot happier. I'd have a lot more fun if I knew we were going to win. And, uh, and it's true that there's your, you, you have ups and downs, ups and downs based on a daily scorecard. Did you win or did you lose? Well, you guys won more often than not. What about today's game? What, I mean, it's a, it's a different a different game and, and that's your way of saying what i don't like i don't like the reliance on the three but i think you can't you can't go back and uh i think what the celtics have found out is that uh they they've uh, in some of the games that they have lost recently that uh game ending firepower three three point power uh um three point shot um has um and it may be this is good has kept the, um, the, the the hope of 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 a comeback really into the last minute of the game. In many cases, um, last night's was a, uh, didn't 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 follow that script. Uh, they 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 blew them out. But um, most of the games that the uh, Celtics lost on this West Coast trip, um, or the games that they lost on there's two of them, uh, they uh, they had leads late in the game and uh, weren't able to protect them.
Yeah, what would what would Red say? We all know the answer to this. If a player came and said, I don't think I'm going to play this Sunday, I'm going to my son's birthday party. It doesn't take a genius to know what that, that response would have been. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and but there, there are a lot of them. He, he did some things in that context, not quite as um, specifically pointed as that. But um, when we would sign a player, depending on who the player was, but Red would say something to the effect. And, th and this, by the way, didn't last long because eventually I, he wasn't there when we signed the players. I, I was signing them. Uh, but when, early on, he would say to a player, you happy with the deal? Good, because we're happy too. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't play well, I'm not going to come to you and say, give us the money back. Give us money back. By the same token, I don't expect you to come and say, you know what, I'm more important, more valuable to the team than I thought. You should, you owe me money. And that I think helped a lot. I think it put uh, it put the money issue behind everybody. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you had any holdouts. I, I, I'm trying to think. Well, holdouts. Um, yeah, it depends on your definition of holdouts. You know, we, we didn't have a we didn't have a lot of folks who's uh, who were under contract who chose not to come to camp. Uh, and I can only think of one, and it was a, it was a bizarre circus, set of circumstances. That would be Brian Shaw. But, oh, yeah. we, but we had others whose contracts had, uh, had expired and were looking for an extension or, or free agency. And okay. that's, where, um, that's where Gerald Henderson was, for example. And, um, and, and he wasn't the only one that was, um, that, that, that did that that sat out without a contract uh, max the same in the same time period was um had had had, had done the same thing so it uh he just mentioned max and there's a couple of one guy that whole robert parish max dennis johnson and ml Carr. and it seemed like ml Carr, who we haven't mentioned who's not only was a coach for a while a short while but uh also was kind of a leader in that that group that uh that i just mentioned that for in some ways he you know he was a fan leader but he was an interesting personality and certainly brought a lot of personality to the team uh if nothing else but i wanted to get your opinion of, of ml Carr. that's one question the other question is where would you be today if you weren't with the celtics but let's talk about the first one ml first well, I have to tell you, ML is a, is a close and dear friend. So um, you may disagree with some of these things, but. Um, no, I don't. I'm a good, close and dear friend as well, but that's, that's right. When I left the Celtics, there were two people. I'm going to think maybe there was another one who uh, took it upon themselves to have a suicide watch to make sure I didn't do anything stupid. <laughs> And they were ML Carr and surprisingly enough, Randy Vitaha. And, and I would get a call every other week from one of them. Uh, how am I doing? Let's go do this. Let's go get a, get, grab some lunch. And I, I'm, I'm, look guys, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. But um, it was so embedded in my DNA that uh, I had, I, I'd been doing this for so long and it, it, it it's such tight quarters that um that ml felt and, and I, I still hear from ml with whether we have something to talk about or not just to check in on a monthly basis so 
ML, um, ML appreciated where he came from. He appreciated the opportunities that he had. Um, he, um, he understood other, other players in ways that were different than you and I would, would uh, recognize. Um, but the fans loved him. Uh, he was a, uh, he, he, you know, he's, uh, he was a Celtic. Who else have we got? The weird, uh, well, I was going to ask, what would you do if you weren't, what, where do you, where would you have been if you hadn't joined the Celtics? What would you have done? Practice law? It, uh, would you be indicting the president today? What, where would you be? Where would you be? <laughs> I, I don't know. I got talking about being lucky. I know how lucky I was. Um, and the, the, um, I don't know what I would have done. I, we haven't discussed the fact that I had, had graduated from law school. Columbia. Had, passed the bar. And I decided I'm going to take a year off because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Most people had jobs lined up for law offices. I, I had been an intern for two years. Um, locally and uh, I just felt that I needed some time needed some space and I got filled by working for the Celtics and it was a uh, challenge and that's something I really enjoyed doing and pretty soon it became clear that that was actually something that I could could do over time and so that's what I did so I, I, I've never approached that I know that Red talked to me um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before but um when we've had some ownership um, uncertainty, um, Redwood uh, had, had on one occasion sat down and talked to me about not to be concerned. You know, I said, look, when I was coaching, when I had, we had a bad record at times, I realized that I could be back doing what I really, what I was, which was a gym teacher. I said, I'm, I'm really just a gym teacher. And he said, and uh, you know, you're not just a gym teacher, you're a lawyer. So you can do that. He was, he was a real good mentor. He was, uh, uh, and so was Alan Cohen, terrific. So was Harry Nagarian. So was Don Gast. So I was really lucky um, to have had my experiences in the professional sports world evolve into what was a significant position of, of, um, of authority. And uh, I, I, uh, I can't imagine how that, and I found out it didn't relate to anything else. <laughs> I got a lot of interviews after I, after I left the Celtics. I did work, as you know, uh, for uh, the Hawks. I did work for- um, Pistons. Uh, the, the, what's that? Detroit, you worked for Detroit too? No, I did not work for Detroit. I worked okay. for Denver. Denver, okay. Another, another DT. <clears throat> right. Yeah, and, and um, I, I, they were, interesting experiences but i realized in time they were nothing like I, I could not replicate what i had once had and it just it was uh something that i had continually pinched myself and said you know this is uh this is great that uh, i'm learning and, but nobody knew any more than i did when i started so I, it was a level field and i i was happy that i was able to kind of pull ahead and uh it was uh it was it was a great experience it's great there's no better way to learn than by hands-on experience making right. mistakes and stuff like right. that i don't know of any other names that we haven't talked about i guess maybe 
Maxwell and Cousy are maybe the only two who are, are out of these guys. I don't know. I don't know, Mike Lynchy, maybe there's a couple other names you want to throw out there, but they've all been interesting personalities in their own right. Maybe it's because we've gotten to know them because they're up close and personal here in Boston when the time when the media was had much more access. Um, yeah, God, I can remember sitting in the Celtics locker room after a game, you know, when Bird, Bird was the last one out, he sat at the table, everybody would be surrounding the table. And then when Elvis left the building, everybody went home. Yeah. It's that, you yeah. know, Mikhail was just before Bird. It was like they had a pecking order and then Bird came out at the end. He was the last one. And then when he said, okay, guys, I'm out of here. We all left. Yeah. Well, I, I don't so have easy. it was so easy I, at the time. Now it's you got to sit in front of a board that has Dunkin' Donuts all over it. <laughs> yeah, well, I I can't I can't express too much concern about that. <laughs> I, no, I, I, no, I mean, that was your deal. That was your but other, those guys, maybe Lynch, you may know a couple of names. I just had Max. No, I, I, one thing that struck me when Jen was just saying he couldn't replicate um you know what he, what he had when he came here you couldn't replicate the physical office of the celtics because it honest to goodness it was probably you know if you knock down the wall <laughs> probably 20 feet by 20 feet with a couple of corridors and it wasn't quite wasn't quite that bad but it it was um th there were very few single person offices i'll tell you that yeah it was it was a lot of doubling up um and uh, uh i i <laughs> I just thought of something, just straight, total stream of consciousness, Howie McHugh. Yeah. <laughs> and one day I came into the office and Howie was talking about what he did over the weekend. What'd you do, Howie? This is, oh, and I came in the office and uh, did some cleaning up because this is bothering me. Oh, what'd you do? He said, oh, I threw away all of those negatives that were just hanging around doing nothing. <laughs> I had used them for reference purposes. They were two and a quarter square black and white images going back to 1946. And they were in a steel, large steel um, uh, cabinet, uh, file cabinet. And occasionally, very occasionally, we'd go there and find a picture that we wanted. But for the most part, we didn't use it a lot, but we weren't gonna destroy them. He, so I, I rushed outside, suit jacket on and everything and jumped into the dumpster to try to find them. And they were gone. Wow. And and you know, and how he was such a <laughs> he, he was such a, a, a character. He, yeah. Yeah, it was just it was something. I don't know. Did you have any relationship with with um his friend? what's that? Yeah. Just on a friendly, you know, personal basis, but yeah. not in a working basis. Yeah. Well, how he was a character. He was, I mean, when you think back on it, he got technical fouls. Yeah. Technical <laughs> fouls assessed that were that were shot against us. <laughs> the, the points, the points counted against us, not not yeah. So Tony noted your timer. Like uh, Red Red got mad at him one day because he thought that he uh he jumped the gun on on the clock, remember? Oh, the, the, you don't yeah, many times. <laughs> we, <laughs> We had one, we had one, the, the league came in and did something about it, but it didn't, we cost us the game. We had a, um, a, like a two, uh, like a one second left on the clock, something like that. And we're up, we're, we're down one and, and it was the, the ball was being um, 
uh, inbounded um, foul line extended. And Kevin McHale got beautiful inside position right on, right on the block facing the inbounder who faked once and then came back and threw it to Kevin who turned and put it in. Called off, didn't beat the clock. Well, the clock started on the fake. You look on it on the, on the before it left the guy's hand, the buzzer's going off. <laughs> and, and we did not, they did not replay the game, but they, we, did, uh, we did appeal it, but they, they did acknowledge that like they do now with the, their two minute reports that uh, there, there was a certain, well, and what it was, was that um, I think, I don't know if it was Feats Brody. Remember Feats? Feats Brody was the clock operator for the Knicks. And, and maybe a bookmaker too. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't ask you about the betting, all the in the betting on pro sports, which especially in basketball was extremely touchy. I mean, we've had our own touch of that Rick Kuhn scandal and uh, CCNY, and uh, you know, back. I mean, the NBA had to be really careful, especially since the colleges have been tainted, that the that the NBA wasn't susceptible uh and now their DraftKings is sponsoring everything including sideboards baseboards scoreboards and commercials yeah well as you would no doubt expect red hated the thought of it he really did and uh he also he also uh uh railed about to me about how many coaches were behind the benches now there's one coach for every player yeah. <laughs> Who are these guys? Right. Well, I'm I'm sure they're very qualified, but I'm not sure. It's it's a it's a great sport, and I we we had we had three coaches, two two assistants, and a head coach. We managed to get by with that. We, I, I'm not sure. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, this has been uh, fascinating, and um, we could go on for hours, and maybe we'll we'll do it again another time, but. Uh, Thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you so much for sharing, opening up the treasure chest of, of these great memories that, you know, we, we lived and, uh, and just thank you. It was spectacular. Thank you. Well, I was, ha I'm happy to have had the uh, experience and to share it. Good. Yeah. It's, yeah. And you guys know a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's called institutional knowledge just be hanging yeah. hanging around for a long time i don't think you asked me anything that i didn't recognize i don't well, think and that's our fault <laughs> <laughs> all right you know you get second chances hey, great I'm job really, yeah thank i'm just really glad that the um uh, zoom worked <laughs> i yeah. set it up to work. <laughs> You and I, imagine, you know, imagine if Lobel and Lynch were in charge of getting Channel 4 and Channel 5 on the air every single night. <laughs> no chance. Zero yeah. chance. Yeah. Zero chance yeah. is right. Yeah. Well, there's the complexity in everything has, is complicated now. Everything's complicated. It's, it's, everything. You, you, it, the technology, the things that the, the technology can do is extraordinary. But yeah. getting it to do it is challenging. <laughs> and we haven't really talked about Russell. We never talked about Russell because I guess, I don't know how, if your careers overlapped at all. Uh, oh, they did, but not in the, not in the Celtics. 
they over he was a general manager of Sacramento and um I uh I when trained he coached him. when he coached here you were not here not when not when he coached here yeah right no but he he came back and not here but he came back in uh, Sacramento he may have been may have been in Seattle too um and um we made it we we did a trade um Danny for uh, Ed Pinckney and um yeah. Uh, senior moment. Who's the other player? Ed Pinkney. Um, Joe Klein. Joe Klein. Oh, it was Joe Klein. Yeah, it was in, during the February of '88, right? Something like that. Yeah. Something, I, mean, I, I I I can't pinpoint it right here. I'd have to go look it up. But it was yeah. in that time. But we had to had a uh, we had to had some conversation um earlier on and uh, the um with with uh, bill about uh making a deal and um we had one of the players that we had talked about was was uh danny who uh, at that point was um was getting antsy to move on looking for, he, he was you know sometimes you can have too many players and it, they, they they you can't satisfy everybody if, yeah if you you go that route, you don't satisfy people. But we had had a deal. We had had conversations, and they had died. We had nothing going. Danny scored thirty points against them the night before the trade deadline. We were on an all um, a um, uh, a, net, a, a red eye back, and I was in Boston at eight o'clock in the morning. I got a call at home from Bill. He's calling from Sacramento. So what is that? Five o'clock, maybe. And. It's <clears throat> That, that deal for Danny. Can you think we can uh, we can revisit that? And so we did, and uh, we, we made the deal we made. Some would say we did the right thing. Some would say we didn't. But um, it is what it is. The the issue yeah. with Larry's um, Larry's issues were becoming starting to become more defined and less more problematic at that point. Yeah. I don't want to extend this longer than we can, but we haven't even talked about Parrish. Damn it. This thing's come Why up. Why don't we do that in another show? All right. All right. All right. I'm, uh, that's a good idea. Good idea. <laughs> all, all right. right. Yeah. Great job. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure. Glad to be back talking to both of you. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll be back. We're going to try to stick around as long as we all can. We all make it. Yeah. Let's <laughs> make a pack. Let's all try to stick all around. Right. I'm, uh, count me in. Okay, All good. Right. You're in. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Right. Thanks. Great yeah. job. Take care. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com. Thank you.